Thank you for listening to this podcast message from Stowe Presbyterian Church. This message was given by Pastor Bob Stanley. I love all the preparation that goes into it, but it can be a crazy and a, a stressful time because we all relate to it. You know, those Christmas movies where there's a family and it's just sheer chaos and something's going wrong. The reason we love those movies and watch them every year is they make sense to us. I may have mentioned before, we have a sign in our house that people see when they visit and it says, remember, as far as everyone else is concerned, we're a nice, normal family. <laughs> Christmas brings that out, doesn't it? We see that. It definitely makes sense to us. I remember one year at Christmas, I probably was in about 10th grade. My parents took me out because they wanted me to carry a present. Probably for my sister, because she's short and kind of weak, and I'm the big burly brother, so they sent me out to do that kind of stuff, and that's fine. I'm just kidding. I just hope my sister listens to this podcast, so I have something to talk about with her on Christmas like this. But That's what Christmas is about, right? No, but in reality, my parents said, hey, we need you to carry something. They picked me up after like basketball practice. I was tired because the coach beat us up that day, and we're riding along in the car, and if you were ever a kid in the car, a teenager, your parents begin to argue about something Christmas-related. But like all good parents, they're arguing in some sort of code that you don't understand. Do you? We think? I don't know. What it, well, I don't know. What do you think? Well, that's not what we talked about. And there's some code. I don't even know what they're talking about, but I can tell from the conversation that my father is winning and my mother is not happy about it. Being that that only happened twice a year in my home, I knew we were fit for an interesting ride. We're going up the hills, it's snowing really bad, and we're driving, and I know we're going to dinner as this continues, and I think, oh boy, I can't wait for another hour and a half of this. And as we got to the restaurant, the most dreaded thing happened that, ha that parents do. They said to me, why don't you go in and get in line, and we'll be in, in a minute. <laughs> Any of you ever had one of those? Yeah, yeah, so... <laughs> I go in, and just a few minutes later, it seemed like an eternity, I'm sure, but a few minutes later, my parents came in. My dad was doing okay, but he was quieter than normal. My dad was a quiet guy to begin with, and my mom was smiling, so I knew that the tables had turned. Mom had won, all was right in the world, and we went on with Christmas. And it's funny now, as I'm older, I think back about those moments as I was riding in the car, and to myself, I would have said, you know, I would have done anything to be rescued. Like Santa could have flown in and like opened the, the moonroof in the car. I don't even know if we had one of those. And just like lowered down a rope and pulled me out of there. And I'd been like, high five, Santa. Thanks for rescuing me this Christmas. We all have those moments where it's kind of awkward. It's kind of frustrating. And, you know, at the end of those, you just lay down at night and you think, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Perhaps you've had one of those moments where you're waiting, where you're frustrated, where you're unsure. You may not even know what's going on, but you're pretty sure there's some tension, there's some frustration. All of our Christmas frustrations are not solved as easily as it was for me that evening. We have issues that aren't solved with a little communication, with a little conversation. They're not so easily taken away, and this time of year can be hard for us because we think about them. They're not always fond memories or things we can laugh about. We struggle, we feel loss, we feel frustration, even regret. I wonder how Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, felt as that first Christmas came near. His story, of course, aligns with the story of, of Mary and Joseph with Jesus' family. He's an uncle, Elizabeth's husband. Zachariah was a priest in the temple. And as he was there in the temple, he got a very special duty. He was in the, 
the holiest place where he was silent for a long period of time, watching over the sacrifices and the things that happened in the temple. That was a great honor, and he was in there quietly. He was thinking. He was praying. And that angel, Gabriel, appears to him and tells him something he can't believe. His wife Elizabeth, though she was too old to have children, she was going to have a son. And Zechariah turns and says to the angel, this, this can't happen. She's too old. This can't be right. And the angel says, since you didn't believe God, you're going to have a while to think about this. You're not going to be able to speak and really communicate and interact. Maybe you're not even here right. You're going to be stuck for a while. For the entire pregnancy of Elizabeth, Zechariah was silent. He had a lot of time to think to reflect and to pray. Almost nine months and then eight days later, after John was born, they went to the temple to dedicate him. We've talked about that. They went to have that dedication time. It goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. As they went to dedicate him, they said, what are we going to name him? What are they going to call him? And Elizabeth said, his name is going to be John. And the rest of the family is perplexed. Have you ever had family to tell you something better than what you know it yourself? No, that's not right. That's not what you mean. Now, Elizabeth knew full well what she meant. She and Zechariah had learned to communicate over that period of time, and they had prayed and understood what was going on, and his name was going to be John. So they went to Zechariah, and they said, no, no, Zechariah, what do you want to call him? Maybe we should name him for your dad, because that's what they did in that culture. They didn't name it... For the father, but often the grandfather. And he asked for something to write on. And he wrote down his name is John. Jehonanon. Jehovah's gift. Is what his name means. And at that very moment, as Zachariah was obedient to God, his Voice returned and his ability to communicate was restored to him. And then once again, he was able to share all that he had pondered for those months in his heart, that he had prayed, that he reflected, that he had learned. And he decides to share it as only a priest would do. The priest would often share by singing. This is a prophetic declaration. God's spirit falls on Zachariah, as we're going to see, and he shares what God has put in his heart, but he does it as a priest would do. In Hebrew, this perfect meter, in this perfect rhythm, this is a song, a hymn of praise and a prophecy about God's majestic power and his plan of redemption and salvation for all of his people, about his son and the role that his son would play in that, about promises kept and a rescue from sin and death. Not just a rescue from awkward moments with others like I experienced, but Redemption from the depths of our beings, from the most difficult things that we've experienced. Salvation from pain, from sin, and from darkness. And not just what comes from outside in the world around us, but what comes from inside of us as well. Today we're going to take a look at this song from Zechariah, this anthem of salvation and hope for all of God's people. And we're going to notice three things today that I want you to keep track of. First, that God is a promise-keeping Savior. He's a God who keeps every promise. All His word from beginning shall come to pass. 
at the end of time in our lives and in our world. God never forgets one promise. And second, part of that promise, part of that plan for restoration means that Christ comes. Christmas is about how Jesus comes to rescue us and to free us from sin and death and darkness. That's what it's about. It's a powerful reality that dwells in our lives. It comes in and breaks into our lives that we would know, that we would trust in who Jesus is and what he came to do for us. How that should change not just our understanding of Christmas, but of our lives. And third, we're going to see that we're freed from sin and death and darkness, not just to enjoy our lives. Sure, you should enjoy Christmas. There's no reason not to. But life is not about doing whatever we please. In fact, we, like Zechariah, learn that God goes to extraordinary lengths, in the case of John, his son, even supernatural lengths, to call us into his plans and into his purposes for us and for our lives. We fit in, our stories fit into God's story of rescue and redemption. And when we find that place in God's story, we're blessed. Lord, we are just drawn into God's presence. And he says, hey, I'm going to guide you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to provide for you so that we can be a blessing and proclaim that truth to other people. So let's read this declaration of God's promises kept, of God's salvation, his rescue come and made real, and his blessing that is set free in our lives in Zechariah's song. So we're going to open up and read from Luke chapter 1. Verses 67 through 80. You can follow along in the New Testament part of the Bibles in your seats if you want. That's page 900 in those. If you have your own Bible, that's Luke chapter 1, 67 through 80. And I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, you can take one of those. You can get one yourself. These are the CSB Bibles. We're using Christian Standard Bible. It's a very readable translation. We want you to have your own copy of God's Word so that you read it, you become familiar with it. So you know what it means to belong to God and to know the promises that He's keeping in His Holy Word so let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 67. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness, in his presence all of our days, in you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong. And he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. What a great passage from God's holy word. First, God keeps his promises. The entirety of his covenant relationship with his children, everything that has occurred in God's word until this moment has been about the preparation of God's people and of their hearts for his coming 
redemption. For generations, God's people had waited in expectation. We learned a little bit about that with Mary's song, the Magnificat, last week. And for generations, God's people had waited in that expectation. They had held out hope that God was still coming. They hadn't heard from God for hundreds and hundreds of years. They were wondering whether the Messiah that had been promised would be there because they had suffered. They had been through so much difficulty. Often that suffering had come because of their own sin and their own choices, and our lives are like that. We often struggle with the aftermath of what we say and what we do, and our sin, we do. Like my parents in the car that night, we try to shield our kids from our sin, but we know it's not so simple, is it? We look for freedom from sin and from suffering and our frustrations, both with others and in the world around us. We look for it everywhere we can find it. We look within ourselves, and sometimes... I think people are just looking for someone to blame for how we feel and what we've messed up in our lives. So in our thoughts and in our actions, we we wrestle. Sometimes I wonder if that's why Christmas is so difficult for us. Part of being human and sinful is we want to believe that God is at work in our lives, but we don't often see it. In fact, we feel like all we see is the opposite of it. We want to believe God is blessing us and We want to feel it, but when we take a good look at our lives, we're forced to take in the reality of ourselves. We know we mess things up. We know we're broken. Sometimes we may feel like we're not even worth redeeming, but we are. In fact, that's what Christmas is all about. Blessing was always God's plan. It was always his promise to his people. And yet sometimes we struggle to feel like we're worth it. The scripture we've read today reminds us that God is the one who comes to offer blessing. He is the one that has blessing to give. And the name given to Zechariah's song here in the Latin, like we talked about Mary's song was called the Magnificat, the song here for Zechariah has long been called in the church Benedictus, the song of blessing. Blessing is a powerful thing that God offers for us. God is the source of all blessing. He's the source of restoration, of hope, and of redemption. We learned about this, that God had come to restore. He had come to connect. Mary sang about that in her song. Israel had long felt that God had taken his hand of blessing away from them. Maybe you feel like that today. Now in their history, they're suffering under the cruel hand of Roman occupation, and they're suffering in many ways. There was despair, there was unrest, there was violence, there was uncertainty. It feels a lot like our world today. Maybe you feel like your life is stuck and you don't have a whole lot to hope for this day, and maybe you feel like there's no peace in your life as we wait for the peace that Christ brings. Maybe you feel in your life there is no peace anywhere. It's all frustration. It's hectic. It's frantic. Maybe there's times when you call out and look at the ceiling and say, God, where are you? God understands that. God understands when we feel there's no hope, when there's no peace, when we say, how can you let this happen, God? I don't think that you even hear me. Are you even there? I wonder if that's how Zachariah felt in his contemplation. Oh, he knew God was real. He had an angel appear to him but he felt like maybe he had done something so terrible that he might be stuck like he was, not able to speak or to communicate forever. And when that moment finally came, he's able to praise God and 
express in our hearts what sometimes we feel when God brings us through a hard time and say, God, you were there all along, even when I couldn't see you. I remember when I was little, I had a pedal-powered 4x4. Now, before power wheels with batteries, good luck, parents and grandparents, if you have to build one of those guys at Christmas. 3,000 pieces. You ever see those things? You need a degree in electrical engineering to build one of those things. But before this time that we had power wheels, we had these things called pedal powers, and I had this big yellow 4x4 called a stomper. Does anybody remember those? Why are they called a stomper? Because you stomp through the mud. Yeehaw! That's what you did in that. Four-wheel drive, you got in that thing, your parents put you in it out in the yard to wear you out so you would sleep at night. That's what those existed for, right? So a big 4x4, four four, and it had these little pedals that went up and down. Does anybody remember these things? They probably got outlawed. Some kid got his head stuck in them or something. I don't know. We had the best toys in the 70s and 80s. We had power wheels. Before that, we had stompers. We had green machine, which for whatever reason had steering in the back. So when you pulled the levers, you pinwheeled to your death. We had great toys. We did. And I remember I had this stomper. And in our yard, I had this 4x4. Four four, and I wanted to be cool. It kind of looked like the truck from the Fall Guy. Do you remember that show? Yeah, so I'd be out there, and I'd be pedaling that thing with all my might. I probably, I don't know, I was like six years old, five years old, and I would pedal that thing as hard as I could. And I wanted to look like a real truck. So they'd put a battery in it, a real old car battery, and some wiring and some parts, because when I opened the hood of it, I wanted to be like I was working on the engine in it. Right? That's what it was. So it weighed a lot, and whenever I would go through my yard, there was a spot with a bunch of mud and a bunch of tree roots, and it was hilly, because it was Pennsylvania. And no matter how hard I tried, there was this spot in my yard I could never get through. I would pedal as hard as I could. I would pedal and pedal and pedal, and I couldn't get through it. And my family would watch me and everyone. And my, my godfather came over one day. His name was Henry. He was like my grandpa. He was like my second grandpa. And he came over, and he lived up the hill, and he was on the school board with my mom and knew my mom and dad real well. And he was talking to them. He taught, so he was still in his dress clothes. And he was, he was sitting there laughing, watching me try over and over to get through this spot in my circuit. I'd kind of worn a path through the, the little yard at our house. And I couldn't get through it. So Henry went out in his dress clothes, and he got behind my truck, and he said, just pedal as hard as you can. And I gave it all I had. I was tired. It was hot out, and I was pedaling that thing as hard as I can. And he, as much as he could, he was a strong guy. He was pushing behind me. And he basically picked up that thing over this immovable object I couldn't get through and drove that thing over the roots and through the mud. And at the end of it, I looked back with him so excited I'd finally made it. And I realized with all my pedaling, I listened to what he said. Well, let me put it this way. There was a lot of mud on the back of my truck and a lot of mud on my godfather in his dress clothes. And he put his hands on my shoulders. He said, look, you did it. And I realized, of course, I, I couldn't do it. I tried to do it at least a hundred times. I couldn't get it. Now, in reality, who made it? Who did it? He did it. He picked me up. He carried me through it. He got me past it. He came and got me through it because he had the power and he had the strength that I didn't to get through what, to me, seemed like an immovable object. 
God is like that in our lives. He keeps his promises. And as Zechariah begins this prophecy by the Holy Spirit, he declares, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. God had promised it. He had raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Horn of salvation. Now, since Zachariah is a priest, you might assume that meant like a horn that he would blow, like they have the shofar, the things they blew at the temple. But that word there actually refers to the kind of horn that an animal had on its head. It represented power and might and strength. That's what it represented. The horn of salvation is a reference here to God and his strength and his power. Psalm 92, 9 and 10. For indeed, Lord, your enemies, indeed, your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have lifted up my horn like that of a wild ox. I have been anointed with the finest oil. See, Zechariah here is saying, God, you're going to come. You're going to do what you promised. What you promised us back through the prophets and in the Psalms, you're going to make it come true. You have the power to do what we can't do. Zechariah and his simple understanding, they thought the Messiah was going to be a political leader or a military leader. It was just going to be about physical power. But what God here is talking about is more than physical power. He's talking about spiritual power. What are the deepest enemies we know? Do we have physical enemies? Or are there people that mean to do harm to us? Sometimes there are. Sure. But the power that drives all of this is the power of sin and of death and of darkness that dwells in our hearts and all of our hearts. That doesn't mean we're all as bad as we could be, but the real enemy that God is the power that he comes to defeat, he comes to set us apart to anoint us with oil to make us his very own from sin and from death. He says, I'm going to come keep those promises. No earthly leader has the power to free us from sin because they're sinners just like us, but it doesn't keep us from trying and placing our trust in them. No matter how wise or how spiritual we become in our own power, by our own strength, we're just stuck in the mud. And yet God says, no, I've come to lift you up, to take you. I'm going to save you. I have the power to do it. That's the whole point of this song that Zachariah sings, this song of blessed. God has the power to do the only thing we can't do, and that's to rescue us from sin. God rescues us. Sometimes it's from physical peril. It's because what we do puts us in physical risk, but it's not just rescue from what we see, but from what we can't see. What we don't fully even comprehend in our lives, what sin is doing. We're all sick from sin. It hurts us, and it's a harsh reality we face in our lives. We know it's out there. 1 Peter 5.8 reminds us of this sin that we're coming to be rescued from. We're going to talk about that. But first, let's look at what the, the promise here says in Zechariah. We've been rescued from the hands of our enemies. Our greatest enemy is sin. But look what that rescue provides. We've been rescued by God to serve him without fear. Remember what it said in Psalms. We are anointed with oil in holiness and righteousness. See, we are set apart. That's what holiness means. We're made right that we would be set apart, anointed, brought into God's presence, in his presence all of our days. 
We have been rescued from our sin and from our darkness, from all that would hurt us, not just the physical things, but those deeper things from sin. And what does that provide for us? What does that rescue give us? That we can serve God without fear. Without fear. We can serve God without fear. 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, seeks to prowl like a roaring lion. Sin seeks to devour us. Anybody ever seen that TV commercial for Man vs. Bear? You seen the commercial for that show? Shows a very fit, very strong man, and he's running. It's slow motion, and you see the terror on his face, and then you realize behind him, a black bear is running after him. I don't know if you've ever encountered bears. I used to pastor a church where bears would walk up and sleep on our front yard. They're really cute from a distance. But I never want to get near them. They'd always sleep between me and my Prius because they thought I was easy prey because of that car. As scary as a bear is, a lion is the king of the beast. It's the scariest thing. Sin, that one sin, we feel that it, it can never go away. We feel like it's that rut in the yard we can never get over. It's that, that obstacle we can never surmount. And God says, no, I came to rescue. That's what Zacharias says. We have been rescued. God's going to keep his promises from all of our enemies, the ones around us, the ones within us. And because of that rescue, we can serve God without fear. God frees us. He's more powerful. He's that horn of salvation. He's able to save us. He's able to save us. And the blessing that God gives us from that, that's our final point, that blessing. God gives us both the power and the opportunity and our freedom to serve him without that fear. By the power of the Holy Spirit, we are not going to have fear in God's presence. We're set apart. We're called by God's righteous right hand to belong to him. We're rescued from sin. We're given a new purpose. Now, much like Mary's song, Zachariah here switches gears. He's given this overarching picture of God's plan of redemption from the book of Genesis to what Christ is going to come to. He knows what it's all about. And now he focuses in, not on his own life, but on the life of his son. The most powerful thing a father could do in that culture was to speak blessing on their child. And he begins to speak blessing on his son. He tells everyone what his son's going to do, and he tells everyone what it means that his son has this calling. It says there in your bulletins, you can see in the passage, he says, you're going to be the one, son, you're going to be the one that's going to do this. This is incredible. Going before the Lord, and he means Jesus in this case, just as Elizabeth did when she talked to Mary last week. And he says, you know why? You're going to be a part of this plan, my son. And this plan is simply this. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, the light will shine in the darkness to shine on those who, will li who live in darkness in the shadow of death. And what will be the outcome? Our lives, our steps, the moments as we walk through our life to guide our feet into the way of peace. That's what the Messiah comes to bring at Christmas. Christmas is about finding true peace. Maybe you've tried everything in your life and you feel like you don't have any peace. You don't have any purpose. You don't have any direction. 
Zechariah here is saying God has always had a purpose. God is blessing us. He's calling us. He's rescuing us that we would be a blessing to others in our lives. Being a blessing to others with eternal purpose. Christ provides peace. He provides strength. He provides hope. He calls us out. He gives us a purpose. I want you right now to think about something in your life that holds you down. Something that hurts you. Something that feels like I felt when I used to ride around my yard. I couldn't get past it no matter what I did. I want you to think about even writing on your bulletin. Maybe you're afraid to write it down. Write down some letters or initials or a a symbol or something that just reminds you of what that is. I understand you want to have some privacy. I get that. That's fine. Take a moment. Write something down there. Take a moment. Ask God to bring to your mind something that you feel is such a burden that God can never take it away. You feel like it's, it's so destructive. It's like a lion. It's prowling around. It can just get you. Write that down. Or maybe it's for someone else. God's laying someone on your life and you're thinking, I feel so bad for so-and-so. They don't even know that this thing is eating them alive. A sin, a struggle, a memory, something that's happened, a loss, a need. How can you bless someone this Christmas? How can you share that there's hope in Jesus Christ? How can you share that there is something beyond that moment? There's something beyond that. How can we prepare people's hearts and lives for what are going to happen? Because it says in the book of Revelation that God is going to return. He is going to finish what he started. He's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more darkness. God keeps all of his promises. All the pain will know, be no more. All that we know, all this stuff that we worry about so much will pass away. John comes as the final prophet in the Bible. He has a calling from God. His Father blesses him and declares it. You have a calling to prepare them for the Lord that comes. The Lord has come, and indeed, friends, he's going to come again. That's what we come to celebrate at this table, the advent of Christmas. That Christ has come, that he came to set us free from sin and death and darkness, that he came to show us what really matters, and he has a plan for your life and for mine. You are not here by accident. God does not have you here just so you can go through the motions. As we come to the Lord's table this day, would you know that God has called you into a restored relationship with Him, that you would be empowered, that you would be anointed and set apart to be His holy people. Just as Zechariah prayed over his son, God prays that prayer over you. He has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light that you would belong to him. Who can you bless this Christmas? Who is God by his Holy Spirit laying on your heart, on your life? Maybe it's just grabbing one of those little red books out of there that talks about Christmas Eve and saying, hey, come to church with me. Maybe it's taking time just to listen and to pray with someone. You don't have to know all the right words. You just have to say, how are you? And sit and look someone in the eye and love them. 
They say, why would you do this? How can you do this? They say, well, I know this guy, Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. In fact, I, I don't know that I have much of it figured out. I feel like I get stuck in the mud a lot in my own life. But I know he's there and he has the power to do in me and in my life and in your life too, far more than I could ever deserve or imagine. Friends, as we come to this table today, this is not the table of Stowe Presbyterian Church or of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. It's of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he alone had the power and he conquered sin and death and darkness. It's open to all those who know him and claim him as their Savior and Lord. And so if that's you this morning, you are welcome at this table. And yet we know we need a Savior. We know we feel stuck in the mud because of our sin. So in the quiet of this moment, we're going to pause and confess our sin together so that we would not come to this table in a manner that's unworthy. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is so easy for us to see others' sins as more ugly, more numerous than our own, especially when their sins are different from ours or when their sins are public and ours are private. It is so easy for us to rationalize our detachment from those around us who need our help, who need our time, who need our friendship. Forgive us, change us, draw us in and rekindle our faith, nourish our souls and transform our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Enable us to forgive others as you have forgiven us and to love others as you have loved us. Father, hear our confession as we give you our heart, our lives, and our whole selves. Hear our prayer as we pray the prayer you taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.